0: Man, thank you guys so much for being here today. I don't know if you've noticed, but our teammates have some brand new shirts on and y'all be looking good. So we had the tannies on Friday night where we got to celebrate everybody that serves and so they've got some new gear and yes, y'all are looking awesome and thank you for all you do. Our teammates are phenomenal. Could we just give it up for them for making all of this possible? So if we haven't met, my name is Todd and I love Leadership Podcast, and I specifically love Leadership Podcast where someone who's studied the generations begins to talk about the different generations, whether it's the baby boomers or Generation Z, or just to to talk about the characteristics because it becomes very clear that that we're different, but we have a lot to learn from each other. And so one thing that's common across all the generations is, is there's a question that we all ask. We ask it in different ways, depending on when we were born and and what our generation is, but we all ask some version of this question, is it real? We ask that, don't we? Like you encounter somebody and you're like, hmm, are you real? You, you go, show up to somebody and you're like, hmm, is this real? Like, is this genuine? Now, now some of you guys are blessed with a fake meter okay? Um, a fake meter You can see fakeness from like a mile away and you're just like, no, no, not getting me. <laughs> Others of us are a bit more gullible, less discerning we need your help okay please be our friend um help us discern these things (laughs) because some of us it's harder for us to tell but but we ask this question of is it real and i would venture to say that that most if not all of us ask this question when it comes to things related to god that we encounter a church or someone who claims to be a jesus follower a movement that claims the name of jesus that at some point we find ourselves asking like is that real don't we? Can we admit that? Now, now I'm a historian, um, or not a historian, I'm not a practicing historian, but I'm, I'm trained. I have a history degree from Lee University. And so, like, I'm trained to be skeptical, not cynical, but skeptical, okay? So I'm trained to ask, like, okay, what's the primary source? No, I don't want the, the third source, I don't want the secondary source, like, get me to the primary source. I'm trained to ask these types of questions. So even though I'm kind of naturally gullible, I'm trained to ask these questions. But some of you, you don't have to be trained, it's just natural. You automatically start digging in, you automatically start asking the questions. And I think it's good. And if somebody has told you, "You man, don't don't ask those questions about things related to God or about this church. No, please ask those questions. Jesus welcomes our questions. And so how do we tell, though, if something is real? How do we tell if something really is a move of God? That's what I want to talk about today. Because sometimes it's just people doing their own thing and claiming God. But then sometimes it really is God. So what we want to do today is talk about that. And we want to dive in. If you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, a paper or digital copy of your Bible. And what we're talking about today is not exhaustive. Like, you're not going to tune off this today or walk out of here today and be like, "Okay, I know exactly what to look for, these things, and that's it. No, it's not exhaustive, but these things are essential. Like, because of Scripture, not only in Acts 2, but these things are backed up in other places in Scripture, that when I don't see these things, I begin to question Like, is this really God, or is it just charisma and personality and some style? (laughs) Like, like, is it really him? And we're going to continue this conversation. We're not going to finish it all today. We're going to come back to this in a couple weeks. But I think it's worth our time that we wrestle with this, especially for those of you who may not follow Jesus, or maybe you claim to follow Jesus. Maybe everybody thinks you follow Jesus, but like mentally, you've got one hand on the door. Because you're like, my experiences around things of God, I've seen a lot more fakeness than realness. And so I'm beginning to question the whole thing. I'll well, just say before you question the whole thing, let's dive into Acts 2. Let's see from the beginning, like we're looking at the birth of the church today. From the beginning of the church, what were some characteristics of a move of God? And we're talking about this as a second part of our series called, Now What? And this is a question that we're all going to get asked at different points in our lives. You, you graduate, and you're like so happy, and it's like, now what? You have a baby, and it's like, when's the next one coming? You get married, and it's like, when your baby coming? You get a promotion, it's like, when your next promotion coming? When are you going to start your own company? I mean, we just get asked these questions. And so the reason that we're framing our series this way is because Easter, according to Jesus followers, this is the biggest event in the history of the world, like everything hinges on the resurrection, so huge events so would be very natural for us to go, now what? Okay, Jesus died and he rose from the dead. Now what? What do we do next? And as we talk about, is it real? Is this a move of God? We're also gonna talk about, is this a move of the spirit of God? Because in Acts, a big character in Acts, or even the main character in Acts is the Holy Spirit. Now, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit as sitting like this, um, some of us get a little nervous, okay? Some of you are like, oh, what's going on? Some of you are looking for an interpreter. Uh, just kidding. Um, you know, like we, we just, if, if you didn't get that, don't worry about it. <laughs> but, but sometimes we're like, oh, I'm kind of nervous. Like, like, oh, where is this going? So, so just from the beginning to have a little bit of clarity, okay? God is one, and he expresses himself as a trinity, okay? Three unique expressions of God. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we have to understand is the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a person, an expression of God. And so we've got to understand, we're not talking about some like second tier. No, no, we're talking about God. And then you may ask like, well, well, what is this whole deal with the Holy Spirit? How do we experience the Holy Spirit? Like, Like what happens is when we repent and follow Jesus, Repent simply means a change of mind. that results in a change of action. And we repent because Jesus died and he rose again. Because he did all the work and then he just says, come on, follow me. Make me your king. And so we repent and follow Jesus. What happens? And this is crazy. If you really sit back and think about it, like God moves inside of us. Like the spirit of the living God, the spirit of Jesus moves inside of us. This is the teaching of the New Testament. So we're talking about God living inside of us, not it, not some feeling, the spirit of the living God. That's what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit, okay? And so maybe you're still like, uh, an analogy would help. So we all know what our conscience is, don't we? We all know what it's like to be guided by our conscience. When I coached football at Bradley, um, one of our rules was do the right thing, and Coach Sam Floyd Floyd always say, and you probably know what the right thing is. Because a lot of times we do. We don't necessarily do it, and we try to justify it, but usually we know what the right thing is. That's called our conscience. So what we believe as Jesus followers is that we don't just have a conscience, we have God inside of us. So it's not just this kind of feeling letting, guiding us, like God literally puts his spirit inside of us who is guiding us in the ways of God, in the ways of Jesus. And as a result, and we're gonna see this today, so I'm not gonna explain this now, we'll get to it. We have a power that goes beyond us. If you're still a little fuzzy, keep coming back and then actually come back in June. We're gonna do a whole series on the Holy Spirit. Um, But but hopefully that at least gives us some groundwork for us to dive into Acts chapter two. So in Acts chapter two, verse one, it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is the group of Jesus followers. So all together in one place. This actually takes us back to, to last week. Because last week, the thesis in Acts chapter one is one word, wait. Something we don't like and we don't want to wait. But what happens is they do wait. And last week, again, we talked about waiting as active. It's not doing nothing. It's not passive. It's actively seeking God through prayer and through being in his word. That's what they were doing. And so here we see in Acts chapter two, verse one, they are waiting. And it just begs the question. A question I've asked is like, well, what if they didn't wait? Well, if they didn't wait, they would never get the power of the Holy Spirit. So most of us, whatever we walked out of here last week, if you were here last week, if you tuned in, whatever we were waiting on probably hasn't resolved in the past seven days. right? But I keep waiting. Because at the other end of that waiting is power from God. The power that we need. He's going to move. He's going to meet us. Let's wait. But what if they hadn't waited? then they wouldn't have experienced all that we're gonna read about in Acts chapter two and all that happens throughout the birth of the early church and all these incredible things. They would have missed it out of impatience. So what they would do is they were waiting. And I imagine some of their prayers may have gone something like this. Jesus, where are you? (sighs) You rose from dead, that was awesome. Um, You left, not awesome. It'd be great if you were still here. You've talked about this Holy Spirit, baptism by fire. I don't really want to get burnt. I'm kind of scared, Jesus. But here's what I know. I feel really weak. I'm also smart enough to know the people who killed you could come kill us. So if you could, like, show up or do something or move or whatever this Holy Spirit thing is, if you could get on with it, like, could you just move? We're waiting on you. And I give that illustration to say, man, our prayers don't have to be perfect, and they don't have to be pretty. God wants our real, honest, vulnerable prayers. Let's just pray and talk to Him in the way. Let's continue to wait. And so they're waiting. And in Acts chapter two, again, verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. Now, a little context. Acts is basically part two of a research paper written by Luke, highly educated. He's a doctor and his details are phenomenal. And so Luke wants us to understand, hey, this is the day of Pentecost. Why does he want us to understand that? Because that day had immense significance for the Jews. It occurred 50 days after Passover. Jesus was crucified on Passover. So here we are 50 days later. And so if you put together Passover and Pentecost, here's what would have been going on in the Jewish mind. Passover meant Rescue. Like, that was a celebration of when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, and here's what Pentecost meant. It meant when God gave them the law, okay? So we got rescue and the law, and so what we're gonna see here, this is brilliant, is when Jesus died on the cross on Passover, he rescued us from sins. He guaranteed that we could be forgiven of our sins, and then what's gonna happen on Pentecost? We don't get the law, we get the Spirit of God imprinting the ways of God on our hearts. Is that not amazing? That it's not a list of things to do. It's the spirit of God giving us the power to do what God wants us to do. So it's brilliant. So Luke sets this up with this little detail that's just amazing. And it says this, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. at this point that some of us already get discouraged. Because we're like, sometimes God doesn't seem like a violent wind. I wish he were a little bit louder actually. <laughs> And we can get upset when people may have these certain kinds of experiences with God, experiences with the Holy Spirit, and we just don't have them. We're like, are we we lesser? No, no. I love that the Bible is not just one book, it's all these books and it creates some tensions that help us. Because in tension with Acts chapter two is the story of a prophet named Elijah who is waiting for God to speak. And as Elijah is waiting for God to speak, the wind is violent and it blows. And God was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake and god was not in the earthquake and then an awesome storm and god was not in the storm and then there was the gentle whisper and that was what the spirit of god was in. so look don't get derailed from the beginning by comparing your experiences to someone else god knows that you are unique and he knows exactly what you need and how to communicate with us after all he designed us so don't focus on the how we're gonna focus on the evidence that it's really God. You with me? Okay? We don't need to compare ourselves to others, that's a trap. But in this setting, there is a violent wind. I mean, this is an undeniable experience. God is starting something new. We sang about it earlier, like he's launching his church. He wants to make sure everybody knows this is a move of God and God is doing it. And here's what's key it says, This violent wind came from heaven. This is key. Because it's not just the synergy of these people in the room and all of us together can pull this thing off and together we can do more than we ever could separately. No, it's a move of God from heaven. This is creative, divine power from God that's coming. And so it's really important that we understand that. There's nothing human or manufactured about what's about to happen in Acts chapter two. And it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them now i would have just loved to have seen this like sometimes we just skip over verses maybe you're familiar with Acts 2 but like think about this for just a moment it's like there's tongues of fire and then they begin to separate and it's like mary the mother of jesus is there and you see the tongue of fire on her and the brothers of jesus are there and the fires on them and the disciples are there i mean this is crazy it's okay to like enjoy the bible and to think about it and to try to imagine the scene But what's clear is that the Holy Spirit wasn't just on, like, Peter, the leader of the disciples. He was on everybody in the room. That's foreshadowing what's about to come later. And then it says this in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happens next is they do something that they could not do on their own. And what are they speaking? What kind of language are they speaking here? Well, keep reading. It says in verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven you know that phrase that's vital every nation under heaven and when they heard this sound the sound of them speaking a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard check this out their own language being spoken so you've got people from all these nations and just to understand this list of nations we're about to read this is a very first century way of saying the known world so people basically from all over the known world, and they don't hear the, these people speaking in the common language of they as Greek, which everybody there probably could have understood them if they were speaking in Greek. No, they hear them speaking in their heart language. It's a miracle, it's amazing. And that's what they say. They say, uh, utterly amazed, they asked, are all these who are speaking Galileans? No offense to this, but just to help us understand, this is kind of like saying, um, aren't all these people from Polk County? I'm so sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> God, forgive me. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, am sorry. Not that that's an accurate statement, but some of us who live here have made statements like that, and we repent of that, and God is changing us. But Galilee wasn't exactly L.A., is what I'm trying to say. It's not like, oh, these people are from Paris, they've all been to university, this makes sense. No, no, like, we're talking about some uneducated people, some... Rednecks, if you will, okay? And they're like, there's no way they know all these languages, all right? It's pretty clear, again, this is a move of God. There's no way humans could be pulling this off. And so they say this, Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language, our heart-tongue? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cratons and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues amazed and perplexed they ask one another what does this mean which is a phenomenal question to ask when something unprecedented is happening so so what exactly is going on luke is a doctor he's brilliant he in this passage he has shades of genesis 11 and genesis 12 just painted and colored all through this in genesis chapter 11 what happens is the tower of babel perhaps you've heard of it If not, what happens is the people, they try to build this tower, a ziggurat up to God so they could meet with God and they could basically rule the world and kind of become their own gods. And so what God does is he come down and he scatters them. So they were speaking one language. They could all communicate. He gives them different languages and he scatters them out. Why is that? Is God against diversity? No. Is God against unity? No. But God is against doing things our own way. Because here's what God knows that when we do things our way instead of His way, in the end it's gonna lead to our ruin and we just can't see it. So He protects them from themselves, just like so often. And maybe we have stories of where something happened. We're like, God, you're so mean. And then two years later we're like, God, you're so kind. Thank you that I did not marry her. Thank you that I'm no longer at this job. Thank you that I changed school. Sometimes it takes some perspective to see the kindness of God. And so what happens then is in Genesis chapter 12 on the hills of the Tower of Babel, God affirms his plan. In Genesis chapter 12, he picks out Abraham and he says this in verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the nations on earth will be blessed through you here's what happens if we really look at honestly Genesis 10 11 and 12 there's an order from God a disordering by humans and a reordering by God because we can't mess up God's plan he's too big and he can reorder it and so what happens in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12 Because through the Jews, Abraham's people, came Jesus, the King, God in a body, the long awaited Messiah. And because of Jesus, now people from every nation could have a way to get to God. And so, just like at the Tower of Babel, there was a confusion of languages. Here, notice, God doesn't say, All right, now you're all going to speak the same languages again. No, because God loves diversity. He says, Actually, I'm going to empower my people through my spirit to all speak your heart languages. And I don't know if any of you speak a different language. I hope you have friends that speak different languages. But man, there's something special when someone hears their heart language spoken. That's one of the reasons that Bible translators work so hard not to just get the Bible in English and teach people English, to get the Bible into the heart language of people because when they can hear the story of Jesus in their heart language, the, the language that their mama sang lullabies to them at night, man, that is powerful and that is what happens here. Because God is fulfilling what he promised in Genesis chapter 12. And what he's saying is, yes, I love diversity and yes, I love unity, but it's gonna happen my way because my way is best. And you can't manufacture it on your own. It's gonna be fueled by the Holy Spirit. So if you wanna know evidence of the Holy Spirit, here's the first evidence that God's moving, that the Spirit's moving, there will be a global impact. When God is moving, when the Spirit of God is on the scene, there will be a global impact. And God said that it was going to happen in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the thesis of the whole book of Acts, where he said this. He said, "But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And I just want to requote and I'm going to keep requoting this, our founding pastor Jamie work. Because some people have taught that this is simultaneous. This is not, or excuse me, that this is sequential. This is not sequential. It's not like, hey, let's lock down Jerusalem. Let's move to Judea. Let's move to Samaria. Let's move to the ends of the earth. No, no, this is not sequential because sometimes we use the sequential excuse to never get to the nations. It's not sequential, it's simultaneous. How do we know that? Because that's what happens. Like here is the first fulfillment of Acts chapter one, verse eight. God brings the nations here. Here. Have you ever thought that sometimes God makes our job so easy? In Acts chapter 1, he's like, all right, here's the deal. You're going to be witnesses to all the nations, ends of the earth. And they're like, wow, let's get our passports ready. Like, and, and how in the world are we going to do this? And 10 days later, 10 days later at Pentecost, God's like, huh. so here's how it's going to happen. I've actually already got everybody here. So easy. And you're actually just gonna be filled by my spirit and speak in a language that you don't even know so you can communicate with all the nations in heart language because the spirit of God is here and God is passionate about reaching the nations. And so my question is, are you? And am I? And are we? Because if we are not passionate about reaching the nations... If there's not any way in our life and sphere in our life where we're making a global impact, then I have to ask, is the Spirit of God reigning in our lives? Because it's clear, not just in Acts chapter 2, but it's backed up in Scripture after Scripture, Old and New Testament, go both ways from here, that God's heart is for the nations. And when the Spirit of God shows up, every single time, there will be a global impact. So, we're the church, right? You didn't come to church today. We are the church wherever we are. So we got to ask the question, individually and collectively, are we having a global impact? That's why it's so vital that as a church, we gave our Easter offering to come alive a ministry in the 1040 window amongst some of the most unreached people in the world and they are taking the story of Jesus that he died and rose again to people who have never heard it. We must always be doing things like that as a church. When we stop doing that, please fire me and leave because we're no longer being Jesus's church if we don't have a global impact. If it ever just becomes about what God's doing right here in Cleveland, Tennessee and all about us, then man, get rid of me and find a new church because we are no longer Jesus's church. Where the Spirit of God is moving, there will be a global impact. The nations will be reached. So maybe you're like, well, how do I do that? We'll start with prayer. Like every single day, well, let me back up. Twice a week, just start somewhere. Working to every single day. Pray for the nations. You know what? At the end of this talk, we're going to do it. And I'm going to put a picture of some of our global partners or um, um, a slide with the names of some of our global partners. So all you have to do is take a picture of that and go home and just daily just pray for these people. And then you can email jade at publicchurch.com if you want more information. You can sign up for newsletters you get more information. But at the very least, you can say, all right, I'm gonna start praying for Come Alive. I don't know a lot, but I know that they are taking the gospel to unreached people, to Muslim people coming out of generational slavery. I'm just gonna pray, God knows the rest. I don't really know what Nicolette's doing or Caitlin's doing or what's going on in Romania, but I'm just gonna pray. And then for some of us, maybe you need to go to Romania with us this summer to see it, to serve. Some of you guys maybe need to take a summer or a semester and go overseas and give part of your life away by serving in another location. And you're like, man, it's too late for this summer. Well, then start saving money for 2024. Like maybe it isn't this summer. I get it, but you can start planning and saving because there's a way for every single one of us to have a global impact that is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Is filling us and is moving so let's continue with verse 13 because anytime the spirit of God is moving some people are going to be critical okay so it's just going to happen it happened here verse 13 some however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine they're just drunk even they're speaking in languages there's no way they could know anyway we'll just keep going Peter stands up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd more on this a little bit later, but Peter stands up. He's a spokesman of this group of Jesus followers at this point. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Peter begins with a joke. I love this. Okay, so like understand the joke here. He says, verse 15, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, some of you are like, why is that a reason? Like they've had plenty of time. They could still be up i mean you know (laughs) everything in this culture nine o'clock they didn't have enough time to be drunk yet okay so peter opens up he's like come on lighten up it's nine in the morning they're not drunk yet okay and then he says this no no no. this is what was spoken by the prophet joel he reaches back in the old testament i thought about just reading the passage from joel but he quotes it verbatim so here it is joel and acts says in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Pause. In the last days, what does that mean? Here's what we need to understand, that that Jews this time period, they were waiting in expectation. Not a 50-day waiting, not a 10-day waiting, a 1,000-year waiting for God to begin doing a new thing, for God to begin moving. They were waiting for the Messiah. Now, they had no idea it would be Jesus. They were confused that it was Jesus. But what Peter is saying here, he's saying, Joel told us that in the last days, in other words, there's gonna be a new age that's coming. And it's the kingdom of God and it's actually here. He said, all the things that you've been waiting on and agonizing in prayer over, God, would you just start moving in a fresh way? Would you show up? They're like, hey, it's happened. The things the prophets were telling us about in the Old Testament, it's here. It's time. And it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. old testament biblical apocryphal language okay it's metaphorical but it's saying hey you're going to know it like nature's going to let us know there's going to be crazy things happening and it's going to point to the fact that God is doing something new like as we talked about on Easter the fact that for three hours everything went dark when that happened they would have been like oh Joel oh Daniel oh God is moving there's something new happening and here's what it says it says that that young men and old men and Young women and young men, they're going to prophesy. Like, okay, now we get weird again. What does the word prophesy mean? Well, it means to basically speak the truth of God. And one of the best definitions of prophecy in our modern world is to take the truth of God's word and apply it to the circumstances we're walking through. To take the truth of God's word and apply it to the circumstances that we're walking through. Some of you just have that gift naturally. Some of us, we can ask for that. That God would allow us to take his word and apply it and say, here's what this means. Now, there's some other definitions, but at its base level, like that's the heart of prophecy. But but here's what we need to understand. You're like, oh, what's the next evidence that the spirit is moving? Here's the evidence. It's a multi-generational impact. So so when the Holy Spirit moves, we're talking about a global impact and here we go, a multi-generational impact. In other words, if you're under 18 and in here today, there's no junior Holy Spirit. It's not like you get one version of him when you're 16 and then you age out and when you're 25 and can rent a car, you like get the full Holy Spirit. No, there's no junior Holy Spirit. In fact, this won't be on the screen, but just to give us clarity to this, Paul said in Galatians 3.28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This was unprecedented, this was unheard of. Social class and judgment and division based on that class, that was the rule of the day until Jesus' church showed up and it had the poor and the rich and it had men and women, it had different ethnicities. And there was so much diversity and all of these people were different. And and the children had value because Jesus loved the children and the old people had value. And there was a multi-generational movement such had never been seen in the history of the world. And that was called Jesus' church. So we need to understand it's when the spirit moves, there will be a multi-generational impact. So that's not happening. Is it the spirit? Or is it just charisma? Or is something else happening? So I praise Jesus that we are growing as a multi-generational church. Because when we first started, I would have been like, I'm a little worried. (laughs) Just to be real, I'm a little worried. I'm telling you, when some of you guys walk in that are in your 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, I'm like, do you need anything? What can we do to help you stay? Like, (laughs) because here's the deal, we need you. We need your wisdom. I have a friend who's planning a church in Nashville and asked him, like, hey, what can we pray for? He said, man, pray for spiritual moms and dads. We're all young and we need some wisdom. We need you. And at the same time, may we never take for granted that we have a lot of college people and young adults here because there are so many churches where that generation is completely absent. Man, the body of Christ is best. When you've got the little ones and the wise ones, we'll just keep it at that. <laughs> and we're all doing this together. And so for those of us who are adults, I think we get that part of our job is to teach the younger generation. Do we understand that according to Jesus, part of our job is to learn from the younger generation? Doesn't mean we stop teaching. That means we also learn, realize that it's reciprocal. Man, some of you guys who serve as public kids' teammates, as public students' teammates, What's incredible is you are scheduled every week to get a chance to pour into that generation and let them pour into you and let them teach you about Jesus as you teach them about Jesus. That's awesome. What an incredible opportunity. And so for all of us, we can get so focused on what we're going through and our stage of life and let's just look around and go, man, this is awesome. And maybe in our lives we need to go, ah, I need a little bit more national diversity in my life. So nations can be impacted and I need a little bit more age diversity in my life because I'm telling you, your life's only going to get better and richer when you expand and your life begins to look more like the kingdom of God, like the church as it was born on Acts chapter 2. So there's a multi-generational impact. And then it says in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm telling you, whenever you see the word everyone in scripture, you should probably just stand up and clap because here's what it means everyone. It means if you think you're too far gone, you're not. It means if you think you're beyond the cross, you're not. It means if you've never been included before, you are. You can follow Jesus. Why? Why is it so inclusive? (laughs) Because of what happens next. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. Oh, just tell him what you're feeling, Peter, okay? Not pulling any punches. You put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Why can all of us get in? Because Jesus took the penalty for our sin. That's why we can all get in. All are invited through one way, through the cross of Jesus, to be forgiven. And how do we know that we can be forgiven? Well, it keeps reading. It says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And this next line makes me wanna do a lap because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Come on, can we praise Jesus that death could not hold him? That yes, he died, but then he came out of the tomb and he conquered death and he proved that he has the power to forgive sins because he has power over death. So do you want to call on the name of the Lord, the one who died for you and rose again? That's an invitation of every single move of the spirit. When the spirit is moving, the cross and the resurrection will be preached and people will be invited to repent and follow Jesus, not because of anything they've done, but because of everything Jesus has done. And so know this, that's an invitation today. If you're here and you're like, man, I don't follow Jesus. Do you want to? Do you want to repent and follow him? A change of mind, the results in a change of action because he died and he rose again. And look, if you're watching online, email us, prayer at publicchurch.com. We want to talk with you for all of us in the room and go back to the prayer corner before you leave here. We'd love to have that conversation. Jesus died and he rose again. All of us, everyone who calls on him to come in. Now there's one final observation today. We gotta go back to verse 14. One final evidence of the spirit. There's global impact, there's multi-generational impact. The cross and the resurrection will we preach. And then in verse 14, the first four words, then Peter stood up. If you don't believe in miracles, those four words should make you believe in miracles. Maybe you're unfamiliar with Peter's story. Um, One of the last times we see him in the biblical narrative before Acts chapter 1 is he's talking to a teenage girl, probably a middle school girl, and she has a simple question for him. Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he gets scared to death of this middle school girl, and he's like, no, I've never even seen him. What are you talking about? And she's like, no, seriously, you're a Galilean. You have that accent. Like, I can tell. Like, like, I'm pretty sure you're with him. And he's like, then he starts to curse. He's like, no, no, I've never seen him. And then again, she's like, are you sure? And he doesn't even have the courage to tell probably like an 11 or 12 or 13-year-old girl that he just knows Jesus. And now he stands up and says, hey, I want you all to know you killed Jesus. What changed? The Spirit of God fell him. See, here's the final evidence for today. We're going to keep going on this in a couple weeks. Here's the final evidence. that we have a power beyond us. We are able to do things that on our own we cannot do. Peter on his own can't even stand up to a 12-year-old girl with the spirit of a living God. He stands up and, spoiler alert, 3,000 people followed Jesus that day. As we go through Acts, Peter's gonna be arrested. He's gonna stand before people who literally hold his life in their hands and he's courageous and he's brave and he doesn't back down and he tells them about Jesus and he eventually is martyred for his faith. Who gave him the courage? The Holy Spirit gave him the courage. So for us, in our everyday lives, we can be filled with his resurrection power. Because maybe you're like, I don't really wanna stand up and address a crowd like Peter. Man, I'd love to have some help raising my kids. Man, I'd love to have some help not going off of my boss because he's crazy. Man, I'd love to have some help being pure with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because I want to be pure, but it's so difficult. Then ask for a power beyond you. That's the Holy Spirit. Because when we follow Jesus, He's there. And it's amazing when we ask him, hey, give me a power. We find that we can do things that on our own we simply cannot do. So if you look at your life and all the things that I'm doing and you're doing can be explained by your own strength, are we walking in the power of the Spirit? But if you look at your life and you're like, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could make it through this. and There's no way I could persevere. Go, man, thank you, Holy Spirit, because you're moving in me. And that's Evidence that it's real, and that it's God. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. Because prayer is one of the ways that we access His power. And we're going to pray for three things. We're going to pray for the nations. We're going to pray for the generations. And we're going to pray for His power. So if you need to get down on your knees, if you need to stand up, if you want to go out to the prayer corner, if you're watching and you just want to get on your living room floor at home, like whatever you wanna do, but let's take a few moments and pray. And here's the key, I wanna equip you to do this at home. So take a picture of the screen and you can pray like this at home. We're giving you prayer points. So here's the first thing that we could pray for. We're gonna pray for the nations. These are some of our partners, Come Alive, Shepherd's Heart International, working in Kenya with underprivileged kids, Nicolette in the 1040 window, Caitlin and people who've moved out of the 1040 window working amongst Muslim people there. And then Romania, the Wells family and Battelle Baptist, our partner there. So let's take a moment and let's pray for the nations. Next, we're just going to pray for the generations. It's going to be listed on the screen, local schools and colleges, public kids, public students, public young adults, and then just kind of break it up, make it easy, 20s and 30s, 40s and 50s, 60s and 70s, 80s and 90s. Let's just pray for the generations. And then finally, we're gonna pray for power beyond us. If you want something to pray, you can just pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, or you can just pray on your own and just ask him for power that's bigger. Public worship is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And this is just more space for us to reflect. If that wasn't enough time, just continue praying. pray. If you want to go back to the prayer corner and ask somebody to pray for you, do so. And if you're a middle school or high school student and you want somebody to just pray for the impact that God can do through you and your school, then go back and let them pray for you. Wherever we're at, let's take this time just ask for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Ask him to give us this evidence, both in our church and in us individually. So this is some space for us just to seek. So Jesus, continue to meet us here. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would continue to experience you, not in a feeling way, but in a very real way, and that you would produce these very clear evidences in us.